are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I want you to take your Bibles, please, and open to the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. saw those young men up here singing a moment ago from our college. And I call it our college. I uh, haven't had a chance to spend much time on campus this year because of this situation. But uh, I sure love you college young men and young ladies. I admire you. I, uh, I dream with you for your future. Almost 29 years ago, the president of, and founder of the Bible College where my wife and I attended Hiles Anderson College. We stood up on the platform exchanging our holy vows of matrimony together. And Dr. Hiles said in his prayer time when he was praying for us, he said, Dear Lord, would you help them enjoy the good days together? And would you help them endure the trials? Young man, young ladies, I had no idea when he prayed that prayer what he was talking about. He did. He was a sage old veteran at the time he performed that that marriage ceremony for my wife and I. But I have a message tonight for the young Christians in this room. I have a message tonight for my family. I have a message tonight for the staff members of North Valley Baptist Church. I have a message tonight for the several friends that have assembled here tonight because my wife invited you. She has a dear friend seated next to her, Janice Tardif, Tardis, and, and I, I think they said Stan's here somewhere. Stan, would you wave at me if you're back there somewhere? Stan's one of the attorneys that my wife supports at the law firm where she's employed. I have a message for you. I have a message for myself. And it's found in 2 Kings chapter 4, and I want you to look beginning there at verse number 8. It fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman. You'd read that, and as I did, I remember thinking, wonder what made her great. What, what, what is this talking about size or stature? Or did she have a huge family? Or what was there about this woman that was great? You'll see in a moment what it was, I believe. And she constrained him, the man of God, Elisha, to eat bread. And so it was that as often he passed by, he turned in thither to bread. Isn't it amazing that when a servant of the Lord finds a refuge and he knows where he can go to find strength and comfort? And he did that. It says in verse 9, And she said to her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth uh, by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. And let us set for him there bread and a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And and, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite woman. Uh, And and when uh, he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king? 
Here's a man that had the king's ear. He could have gone to the leadership of the nation and said, let me tell you how wonderful this woman was. He said, would you want me to go to the king and, and talk to the king about you? He said, oh, the captain of the host. And I love her response. And I think this response is giving us a glimpse at why she was a great woman. And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. Notice, why, why do I need you to talk to the, to the king? I'm not going to see the king. Why would I want you to go talk to the captain of the host? I'm not going to be hanging out with the captain of the host and his crowd. I just live with my friends and my neighbors and my loved ones. I, I don't have a need for you to exalt my name among anybody else. By the way, wouldn't it be wonderful if that was our attitude tonight? Not how well we could be known by somebody that we admire or revere or look up to. Not what kind of position we could attain or what kind of title we could earn. But just this little phrase, I, I, I just want to hang out with my friends. I just want to mix in with the people who are who just like me. Just, just common folks. I'm not after anything at all, sir. And verse 14 says, he, When this is to be done for her, and Gehazi answered, Verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And we had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. The Scripture said that she and her husband had reached a time in their life when they would not have the ability to bear a child. They had gone beyond childbearing stages. And so, when Elisha heard this precious woman, who was a great woman of God, respond, I just dwell with my friends and, and my neighbors. I don't want to be known among anybody's courtyards. He said, I'll tell you what we'll do on behalf of God. We're going to pronounce it from the Lord that you're going to have a son. Wasn't something that she asked for. It was not something that she desired. It wasn't even in her wildest imagination something that could be true. He said, about this time next year, you're going to be holding a boy. You're going to be embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my Lord, thou man of God, don't lie unto thine handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her according to the time of life. Now get this. And we'll come back to this, and, and I want to visit this in a couple of the points of my message. But the boy was born. He grew he became ill. He became ill to the point that he ran out to his daddy in the field and he said, Dad, my head, my head! And uh, the father said, Someone take him to his mother. And the Bible says he sat at his mother's knee until about noon that day and died. He passed away. that which they had not even dreamed to hope for. 
but was very, they were very glad to receive, had been taken away. And she sent a man to her husband, and she said, send a young man with me and, 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 and saddle up the ass and the donkeys and that I may go see the man of God. And verse 23, he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, and these words are absolutely beyond my grasp. She said, It shall be well. It's going to be okay. And so they went and they found the man of God and Gehazi went back to Elisha and he said, Elisha, I see that woman coming and, and, and she's, she's hastening here. And, and Elisha said, well, well, go ask her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your son? In verse 26, in response to Gehazi's question, she answered, it is well. I, I don't understand that. How in the world could you say it as well? I was in the hospital on oh, many different occasions for this last time and uh, was there for two weeks, 15 days. The doctors came in and said, you've been running a low-grade temperature, a fever, and it's because there's an infection. We don't quite know where it is. But we seem to have found an antibiotic that's addressing the situation. And we're going to have to give it to you for ten more days. He said, you have every right, every reason in the world to remain in the hospital. And uh, the insurance will cover it and it'll be fine. He said, unless you just really want to go home. Well, I've been in there 15 days. And another ten days would be a total of 25 I said, I, I said, doctor, it's the same to you if you can figure out how I can treat myself at home or whatever. I, I want to go home. I don't, I don't have another 10 days in here. I mean, it's all right. You lay around and ring a little bell and people run in and take care of you and all that kind of stuff. But I said, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm ready to go. My surgeon came in and sat down with my wife and myself and he said, as you know, Mr. Davis, he said, the Blockage in your intestinal area has returned. The tumor growth is such that uh, we can't do anything for you surgically. You've had so many surgeries, there's nothing we can do. We can do no more surgeries. We, we can't see once you get in there because of all the scar tissue. It's, it's, like, it's, just, it's not an option. I said, so what you're saying to me Dr. Bastidas is war at the end game. I've known him now for over two years. And he's gone beyond just a doctor. He's, he's a friend. We exchanged Christmas cards and notes with one another. And he looked down at the ground and he said, Yeah, we're at the end. I said, Okay. I said, now, you said I can't have anything to clear up this obstruction. That means I can't eat. That's why I was in the hospital. I was, I was ill because there's just nowhere 
when you take in food, there's nowhere for it to go, and you just get violently ill. I said, are you saying to me that I can't eat anymore? I mean, I'm done eating? He said, yeah. I said, man, I've been eating for 51 years. <laughs> I lost Sammy. There you go, Sammy. How would you feel if the doctor told you you can't eat tomorrow? <laughs> or the rest of your life? I know how Sammy would feel, same way I felt. I said, no more pizza, tacos, burritos, no more shrimp, no more hamburgers, no more In-N-Out burgers with extra onions. They got to be crazy. And I was left through the midnight hours to contemplate what had just been told to me. Someone had brought me some music to listen to and I put this CD in. I, I, don't have, no, I have no idea the name of the group. I, I don't even know the name of the song. But the song came on that was based on the story I just read to you a moment ago on this little lady who lost her boy. And it went on and the song went on and said how the mother had run to the man of God and said, It is well. I've read the Bible through several times like most of you in this room have. But I heard that song. Is that true? Did she really say that after her boy died? And I looked in the script. I said, yeah, it's exactly the way the song the singers were singing. It, she says, it is well. And here's what I found out about this phrase, it is well. Would you listen to me? Number one, she was saying it is well about a treasure that God had given to her and her husband. You know, the Lord gives us everything that's good. We may not even ask for it. We may not even desire, we may not even think it's possible enough to even ask for it. She did not think it was possible for her and her husband to have this boy. Yet God in His mercy looked down and He said, based upon how well you served, I'm going to give you something you didn't even have enough nerve to ask for. I'm going to give you a treasure. And the Lord gave her a son. Sometimes the Lord gives a talent. And it looks like He takes it away. But it's for His own purpose to bring us in line, to have that little phrase in our hearts and minds, it is well. I, I think back during the years when I knew of Dr. Lee Robertson. Dr. Robertson is in his 90s today, and somewhere today was preaching the Word of God in his 90s. Pastored the Great Highland Park Baptist Church for years, over 40 years. The last couple of years he pastored the church, averaged over 11,000 in attendance in Sunday school. They came to Dr. Robertson one day, and they said, Dr. Robertson, you preach so long and you preach so hard, your voice is gone. You will never preach again. Dr. Robertson ran to the Lord and begged Him and pled with the God of all gods and the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And he said, my whole life has been standing behind a pulpit preaching. 
I'm pastoring this church and all of a sudden I'm told that I can't even speak above a whisper uh, lest I damage my vocal cords even more. He said, God, you've got to do something for me. And God miraculously touched that man's voice. And he's out there in, in the 90s. I think he's 92 or 3 years of age. and not, uh, 90 some years old. Preaching the Word of God. God gave him a talent. And he can say it is well. The Lord gives us dreams. I know something of what it's like to be on this side of the pulpit as a pastor. Nothing on the sword of our pastor, Brother Trever. How privileged we are to have him as our preacher. I know you know that. And I know you may think I'm saying it's because it's the politically correct thing to do as the staff evangelist of this church to say that. But I mean it from the depth of my heart. No doubt some would say, well, th there's no perfection there. No. And there's no perfection in the one you look at in the mirror each morning when you get ready either. But I marvel at the pastor God has given to North Valley Baptist Church and to my family. He'll never know the depth of love and gratitude I have for him. But I've got to tell you something, folks. That steel structure that stands as a monument of things to come over there next to our Bible college was a dream that God gave when man would have been too afraid to even ask for it. I can say nothing about that project as Brother Treber has brought it to our attention, the financial concerns and needs that has to happen except to say it is well. It is well. The dream of child rearing. The dream of marriages. I look into the faces of folks tonight who sit here, as far as your marriage is concerned, disappointed. You had no idea it would turn out the way that it turned out. It was not your wildest nightmare that things would be as they are this evening. And the old devil comes as he did to my hospital bed. And he says, it's over. Why even waste your breath? That's not even worth praying for. You've got no future. There's nothing but damage. There's degradation. There's garbage. Here's, it's over. Could I say to some that have had your dreams dashed upon the rocks of this life, it is well. I don't know the end, and I don't know how it's going to turn out, and I'm not a soothsayer, and I have no crystal ball, but I just know this one thing. I know that my God in heaven looks down upon those treasures that He gave to us. It wasn't even something that we could conjure that we wanted. And he says, let me tell you something. It is well. Yeah. But would you notice he says that to people that base their life upon the Lord. You have to make sure you go back and have that first statement about the woman where it says she was a great woman, a great woman of God. Children, 
family. I had just walked out of um, a treatment over here by El Camino Hospital, a little clinic over there. Happened to be the same clinic that my daughter went to when she was just finding out about this thing of having a baby and going to have her first sonogram and examination and all that kind of stuff. And we were excited about it. And the treatment I had was such that I, I could not drive. They had to drive me home. And so my, my daughter, she took me and she would, she would always wait and take me home. And I walked out of my doctor's appointment and there was Heather. I said, Heather, did you have your appointment? She said, yes, I did, Dad. I said, did you get the sonogram? She said, yes. For, for those of you that aren't interested in such things, that's the picture of the little baby while it's in there doing the backstroke. <laughs> and I was kind of in a giddy mood that day, and Brother Treber and his family and Tiffany and Ryan were going through that exact same thing almost at that exact same time. And there was a little song out years ago, uh, and, and I, I, said, I said, so can I say to Brother Treber, my sonogram's prettier than yours is. My sonogram's prettier than yours. And she said, I don't know if you can say that, Dad. She said, but I tell you what you can say. My sonogram has more than yours does. <laughs> I said, what? I mean, how can you have more than a baby? She said, Dad, there's two of them. And I looked over at my son-in-law, Chris, who was on his knees in the corner. I said, she's telling the truth. The brother's down for the count. And the dreams that we had not even thought to ask the Lord for, we entered into. We waited until I thought I couldn't stand it anymore. Remember Christmas, how you are? I just, I mean, every day I was just dying. I was supposed to be preaching a conference in Barstow. And Heather was going in and coming home and going in and coming home. But it was very evident there was, you know, time, obviously something's going to happen here pretty quick. And I called the preacher and I said, uh, when I pastored, of course I pastored a smaller church when I was able to do this, I said there were certain families, couldn't do it for every family, and, and I don't know how you figure all that stuff out, and it's probably not right. But there are certain families that were inner circle families that you just, I mean, you work shoulder to shoulder with them in the ministry, and, and they stayed the extra hours, and they were the ones down there cleaning, and they were the bus driver. When they went in, I, I, I just started this thing of going down and sitting in the waiting room, by myself until the baby was born and many times other than the immediate family the dad or maybe a, an in-law or whatever there I was the first one to ever see and hold the little baby and I said my grandsons are going to be born any day and I I've never done this before in my life I said but I 
I'm going to have to cancel the meeting. He had other guys there. I said, I can't come. I, I've, got to, I've got to be here when those grand boys come. I said, please don't be mad at me. And they came. Scary, they looked like me. Bald. Little old chubby Davis jeans in them. <laughs> and now I've watched them over these years, these months, grow and go through all those little different stages that you see little babies go through. When they're first born, they just stare and burp a lot. And then one day it kind of dawns on them, hey, there's somebody else in the room, and they'll start looking at you and staring at you, and then they discover their fist. You've seen them do it. You've rejoiced to watch them go through all those things. I dreamed about the days that they would travel with their papa. Four, five, six years old, maybe, maybe an overnight day session, or maybe a church local in the area, and they could go sit in the front row and hear their papa preach. By the way, I'm still dreaming that dream. Not, not up here to, to give out false, positive kind of attitude thing, but I, I'm still dreaming about that. And I've learned what it was to love being a grandpa. It helped me understand maybe just a little bit about my papa Jenkins. Had a massive heart attack. We all mobilized and got down to Waynesville, North Carolina, where he was at the hospital. My papa Jenkins had nine grandsons, ultimately, no granddaughters. And I remember going into the room to see him. And he looked up at me and he said, Son, last night I was hurting so bad. I wondered why the Lord didn't just let me go home. He said it was, the pain was almost unmanageable. He said, but now I know why. And he looked up at me and he took my hands between his hands and he said, I got to see my preacher boy one more time. I knew what that meant to the grandson. But now I know what it meant to the grandpa. A dream of the treasure. But the trials came. The treasure was given. Was given when they didn't even really ask for it. Couldn't expect it. But then the trials came. You notice in verse... Number 18, it says, When the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said unto his father, My head, my head! And he said to the lad, Carry him to his mother! Dads always do that. My wife had gone to some meeting where she was out of town a couple of days and left me by myself with a child, an infant. I remember going into the nursery one morning. 
and was met with a fragrance that men ought not to know anything about. And I looked at her, and when I had put her to bed, she was Caucasian. But something had changed her complexion. The only place on the body that was not covered were the armpits. So I remember taking my fingers and sticking them in the armpits. Carrying that thing into the bathroom, trying to figure out which thing to dunk her in. What in the world? And I promptly informed my wife, you are never to leave me alone with those kids again. If you do, I'm just going to lock the door, shut it, have someone come in with a hose and clean them up about an hour before you get home. But he, he sent the lad to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat at her knees till noon and then died. I do not know how a parent goes through that agony. I don't know how you can do it. And I understand, yeah, I, I, I know... I know our answers and God gives the grace and, and thank God He does and I know that. But I've still got to confess to you on this, I, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how it's possible to draw another breath. I don't know how you get up the next morning. Phone rang after the Wednesday night service when I was pastoring out in Connecticut. Someone came and said, the Bible College President's on the phone for you, Brother Davis. Would you please come and take the call? I got on the telephone and he said, Brother Davis, he said, I've called to tell you that one of your students that you sent to us, Terry Gustafson, has been killed tonight in a car wreck on her way to church. He said, I am not against calling their mom and dad and talking to them, he said, but I feel, first of all, it, It'd be better coming from their own pastor and not having to hear that kind of news over the telephone. He said, would you please tell them? I sent someone out to the parking lot hurriedly to find Mr. and Mrs. Gustafson and they came back to my office. And I said, I don't know how in the world I can tell this to you. They were sitting on a couch that I had in the office, and I pulled a chair up right in front, reached out and held both their hands in mine. I said, but I just received a phone call from the college. And Terry, tonight on the way to church, was killed in an automobile accident. They began to weep uncontrollably, as I would expect them to. Mrs. Gustafson stood, walked out to the foyer of the church where before the service that night she had taken a newspaper article announcing the engagement of her daughter to a preacher boy and removed that article off the, the little bulletin board we had in the foyer. Came back in and sat down in front of me and she looked at her and she said, Pastor, are you, are you sure? 
I said, Mrs. Gustafson, we're sure. And she laid her head over on her husband's shoulder and she looked up at him and looked up at me and she said, Pastor, how do people without the Lord go through this thing? How do you do it? I was about 27. I've been pastoring my church not a very long time. We had a young man that came to visit us. He said, I heard there was a preacher in town that preached. And I said, well, I said, I, I'm a preacher and I, I do my best to preach. He said, no, they, they said, you're an old-fashioned, rip-snorting preacher. And I said, well, I try to be old-fashioned. I said, uh, why? He said, well, I'm looking for a place like that to, to go when I, for my family when I'm home at the summer. He said, I, I'm in Bible college studying to be a preacher. He said, I play the piano. And, and, and anything you want me to do, uh, sweep or mop or run about, he said, just let me know. And my wife and I very quickly fell in love with a young man named Steve Kaus. He's the kind of preacher boy you'd be proud to have in our college here. And we have a lot of them just like him. He called me one day and said, Brother Davis, I'm so excited. In the summer, I get to go work in a church with a man in Iowa and be a youth pastor. He said, do you think that would be all right? I said, well, your mom and dad, you talked to them about it. They're excited about it. They said, yes. I said, then I'm excited about it too. He said, I think it would be a great experience for you. I remember receiving a phone call from his mother. She said, Pastor, I need your help. She said, Stephen and some others from his church had gone to a river. And they were checking out the river for a possible youth activity where they're going to go on a canoe trip. And she said, the pastor just called and said Stephen's canoe tipped over and his body was caught in what they call a water boil where the water goes over a rock and it just got like a sideways tornado and held his body under. And they said, he's gone. They cannot even find his body. She said, Pastor, it's going to kill his father. Would you please go tell him for us? It was about midnight. His dad was working the shift where I believe he worked from like 11, got off 6, 7, 8 the next morning. I went out and made contact with his superiors and supervisors at the plant where he is working. I identified myself and said, may I please see Mr. Kaus? He came out and obviously your pastor is not going to come to your place of employment at midnight without there being something wrong. And he had that concerned look on his face. And I walked over to him and I said, Mr. Kaus, your son Stephen has been killed in an accident today. And your wife was afraid for you to hear the news alone and she wanted me to come tell you. He weighed about 250, 60 pounds. I saw his knees start to buckle. And I threw my arms around him and I held him. I said, Mr. Kaus, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We made our way over and sat down on some chairs. And he looked at me and he said, Preacher, it's 
going to be okay. He said, I can't stand it, and I'm hurting worse than I've ever hurt in my life. He said, but it's going to be okay. It'll be all right. I know trials come. I look around this room. I feel guilty for having any attention paid to me. When there are some dear friends in this room whom I love with all my heart that have already gone through some of the deepest sorrows a man could ever or a woman could ever dream of going through. And I probably don't have any right to say it to you. Except that it's, I think, true. It is well. It is well. But Brother Davis, I lost my job. I don't understand anything about it and how you're going to pay your bills. All I know to tell you is it is well. But I've lost a spouse. I know that. And I don't know how to tell you anything except it is well. But I've lost a child. And my heart has ached, Brother Davis, just as badly as you described, or maybe worse than those folks you described tonight in your stories. I understand that. And I know the trials have come. And preacher, I understand the one o'clock in the morning and two o'clock in the morning and three o'clock in the morning when you're forced to your knees and you don't know how you're going to stand it and the devil comes and tells you what a rotten pastor you've been and how you've led your folks out and financially or I, I don't know how to tell you this except it is well. It is well. You say, how can you say such a thing? Based upon not the treasure, not the trial, but the trust. I began trusting the Lord March 13, 1968, when on a Wednesday evening at 8.30 at night, I walked an old-fashioned aisle and the preacher gave an invitation. And I said, I need to trust Christ as my Savior. And it's been a wonderful journey. It was amazing to me that when that little boy died at his mama's knees at noon that day, she did not say, send for the doctor. Send for my friends. She said, I've got to go see the man of God. Can you find him for me? See, God uses other people to help us sometimes in the midst of the trial. This, I think you know this already, Brother Treber. We've talked about it. Maybe this is the second sermon I've preached since the first of November of last year. That comes from a man who's used to traveling 220 some days a year preaching. I've preached before tonight one time since last November. Perhaps another reason the voice doesn't sound quite up to normal, it just has not been used. But there's been another real burden as a result of what I just told you that creeps in. And I hate to even bring it up, and I, 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 I only do it to show you the positive. As an evangelist, if you don't travel, you receive no honorarium, no income. Let me tell you what God has done. Several weeks ago, this church, 
gave me one of the largest love offerings I've ever had in my life. For nothing. I didn't preach and you took up an offer. I just was sitting back there towards the back. Brother Treber told the church that we're going to take an offering for the evangelist. The largest single love gift I've ever had in my life came from the sacrificial gifts of you folks seated in this building tonight. A man called me and said, Brother Davis, I'm flying in town to see you. Just flying in, stay a couple hours, going out. Where can we get together? It was yesterday, yesterday morning. We met at the place where he flew in on he flew in Friday night and spent the night. We just met at the hotel where he was staying. Just a man running a ministry, not a huge ministry. And we're sitting there eating breakfast together while they were eating breakfast. I was coveting. <laughs> this not eating stuff, Sammy, isn't you don't want to do this. And he gave me a card signed by all of his staff members, a good number of them, and a check for $2,000. In the middle of the restaurant, I began to weep. Another dear pastor friend of mine from down Southern California in the last 30 days has sent $2,000. I called as I've had to call and it kills me to do it. Cancel all my meetings. I can't travel anymore right now. I will not be able to travel again unless this thing gets fixed. i got to figure out something else. I called this man and canceled a meeting. And he called me back. He said, Brother Davis, I'll tell you what we're going to do. He said, I, uh, I understand what's going on. Don't, don't let it bother you. It'll be fine. He said, I'm going to preach the meeting myself. I've never preached my own revival meeting before. He said, but I'm just going to do it. He called me and said, Brother Davis, the meetings went well. He said, it wasn't as great as if you had been here, of course. I said, well, yeah, it is. But He said, I'll tell you what our people did. Every night we took an offering as if you were the visiting preacher. He said, we want to send you out a check for $1,760. He said, our folks love you. I've probably had 15 or 20 pastors who have sent notes and letters and love gifts. Do you know how you get through the tough times? God sends people to help. Can't always fix the trial. Can't always say to the loved one, rise. Can't always open up their pocketbook and write out $175,000 to get to the next project level at our auditorium. But it's amazing how God's people, one by one by one by one by one, God uses in an absolute, miraculous, marvelous way. Run now, I pray thee. 
meet her and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. Her son was dead, but she said, It is well. The last point in the message is triumph. How is that possible? Let me tell you how. God, who was the creator before the trial, is still the creator. There's still the virgin birth. There's still the blood atonement on the cross. There's still the bodily resurrection. Still to come is the trump of God. Still to be heard is the voice of the archangel saying, come up hither. For the dead in Christ shall rise first, and those of us which are alive and remain shall be caught up into the air to be with the Lord, and so shall they ever be with the Lord. Brother Davis, how do, you, how do you contemplate the possibility of leaving behind your family? How do you personally Cope with the idea that perhaps there will be a time when they will continue on without you. How do you stand the idea those two little boys maybe not traveling with you someday. How do you stand it? One way, there's still a North Valley Baptist Church to rally to their side. Brother Fredericks are still a youth department. For those little guys someday may grow up to be a preacher from your godly influence. I don't know if they will. I pray that if God wants them to, that he'd make them to be preachers. Or maybe they'd just be wonderful, godly Christian men loving God like their daddy. Not a pastor, not an evangelist, just a man of God. How will that happen? Right here. This place. My wife bought the boys a little play golf set the other day. 
plastic for their own preservation. By the way, they kill each other if they're made out of metal. And I don't remember who this was, and if it's someone in this room, don't get mad at me, because I, I promise you, before I don't remember who I had this conversation with. About them learning how to golf. And someone said, well, maybe they don't want to golf. You can't force people, you can't force kids to like stuff just because you like it. I remember thinking to myself, they're going to golf. Don't tell me they may not like golf. They're going, Papa likes golf. Daddy likes golf. They're going to like golf. So how do you know that? They have family that's going to see to it. It's just in their genes. They have an Uncle Dennis who's going to teach them how to Swing right. They're going to have a Grandma Kissel who will show them how to grow up and be the same kind of young men she showed her son to be. Brother Davis, how do you feel? My family doctor is a lady by the name of Dr. Durbin. She calls every once in a while on her own, which is wonderful. I mean, how many of you have doctors that call you without any reason? And she always asks me this question. She says, Mr. Davis, how are you doing? Do you need something? Can I prescribe something to help you through these tough times? I said, Doc, I'm doing all right. How? The Lord showed me something. College student who doesn't know how to pay your bill and you've got to take finals in just a couple of days. God showed me something, dear spouse, whose heart has been broken. Mom and dad whose dreams have been shattered by a child God showed me something based upon our walk with God and our trust in Him. Whatever your trial, it is well. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, preachthebible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.